All right. Kelly with the sacramental Bic lighter. All right. Well done. We'll do that. That's when. Uh, that's for Christmas. All right. Wow. Hey, friends. It's been a while. Um, I am so excited to see you guys today in this, uh, you know, first snowy bit of time here. I'm kind of hoping it's a little snowy for Christmas. And, uh, you know, uh, I know a lot, a lot of us are, are traveling, a lot of people, you know, being a lot of us working, a lot of folks here work in education and other things. And so they get a little extra bonus on Christmas, not usually financially, but flexibility-wise. And uh, wanted to... Uh, I have an announcement to share with you. Some of you are aware of this, but I am going on sabbatical uh, for the first four months of next year. And um, I'm going to be uh, in and out of town, out of town quite a bit. And this is just time, rest, renewal, uh, new vision, uh, discernment, and also uh, taking time to really just kind of catch up on all the medical things I've been neglecting over time. And, you know, I've already started that and just uh, uh, seeking some medical care and adjustments in my care and stuff like that. So uh, I am, it's, it's kind of scary for me to be away from you guys and be away from here. But also what I love is just this trajectory that God's been working in Central Vineyard towards really empowering teams to lead and how we lead one another. You know, uh, I was just having conversations this morning how when we planted this church, the there was a kid's story that was at the center of our thoughts. And who's heard the story of stone soup? Stone soup, it's like, hey, the village is starving. No one has enough food to eat. The guy says, well, I'm, I'm going to hook you up. I've got a deal for you. I want to make you stone soup. And they're like, stone soup, what are you talking about? He goes, I'll show you. Gets a big kettle and puts a rock in it, kindles the fire, and the water's boiling, the rock is steeping or whatever, and... Uh, uh, someone says, oh, well, that's pretty lame. I, I happen to have a couple, some carrots we could dice in there. And he goes, well, okay, yeah, I guess that's okay. You can add carrots to the stone soup. And they dice up the carrots and throw it in the stone soup. And then uh, after someone goes, well, that's carrots. Yeah, but I, I do have a couple potatoes. It's not much. He goes, well, let's dice those up and add them. And then four other people said, well, we have potatoes growing too. We just didn't think that would make a meal. And they do that. And then uh, someone else uh, went up and said, well, I have some kale. And everyone said, no, we don't need that. <laughs> That's gross. No, I'm kidding. They, they, the kale, if, you know, if it's sautéed long enough, it's edible. You know, I guess anything can be sautéed into edibleness, though. So then they add the kale, and then someone else says, well, I actually have uh, some tomatoes I've been holding on to, and they're a little bit soft and mushy, but they might go good in the soup, and they add that. And someone else says, well, I didn't have any food, but I had my spice rack isn't totally... So eventually, as you can predict the way the story goes, eventually they have an awesome soup, and the whole village eats and has a wonderful meal. And I think what I love about that story is the, the, the beginning of the story is no one feels they have something to offer. No one feels like they're good enough. And I feel like we, we have two extremes of the human existence, and sometimes people can be both extremes. But one is uh, this narcissistic view that you've got everything to offer, 
and you are like a golden god or something like that. This, this view that somehow you are the best thing that ever happened to the planet, blah, blah, blah. There are some people that feel that way. I, I can't really relate. But then there's the other view of like, I have nothing to offer. Everyone's better than me. And if they actually, do, as good as they think I am, I'm not even as good as they think I am. You know, this idea of, of imposter syndrome is uh, uh, most people believe like, that if people really knew who they were, they would have a lower opinion of them. All right? So what I love about this, this kind of this children's story is it begins with the presumption that people don't know what they have. And why I think this church is going to do well is because I've seen a bunch of people who are faithful in giving their kale or spice or tomatoes or potatoes but the other thing I know is there's a lot, there's a re-invitation for people to go looking in the backyard of their life and realize, you know what, even people with doubts have something to give to enhance and build up the faith of other people. Do you know that? You can be struggling in your faith and at the same time encourage someone else in their faith. It's this weird paradox because we all have different vulnerabilities and we all have different strengths in some way that the Holy Spirit brings this, this mess of a church together. And I love, I love the messiness of the church because, frankly, even, even this, this small gathering of people, sociologists couldn't explain. There's just too much diversity of storylines and cultures in people's lives to explain this mash togetherness of people. And this is, I believe, this is, a, this is one of the reasons where Paul says, don't, don't, don't forsake getting together. First of all, it's because you're going to want to forsake getting together because people are annoying and it's inconvenient. And B, it's like there's a spiritual force that wants to isolate us. There's more than one uh, person on the playing field. And so that what I'm confident is I think what God is calling Central Vineyard to, in January, February, March, April, is we're continuing to press on is you guys start going digging in your backyards, digging in your front yards, looking in your cabinet, looking at the spice rack. You have something to offer. God is so creative. You, you know, we've got everything from uh, tired, tired retirees to tired parents. And can I tell you something, tired people? Tired though you may be, God has given you something to help people find rest. Tired though you may be, God has given you something to help people find rest. And I love one of the descriptions of the kingdom of God is you enter into the rest of God. And that's something I'm going to be trying to do on, on steroids a little bit, uh, is enter into the rest of God at uh, the uh, uh, beginning of next year. So it's the fourth Sunday Advent. We've got our, our carols service coming up and. I'm so excited about Christmas Day. Carl and I are kind of tag-teaming it, kicking it old school. Uh, here's, here's what you can expect. You can expect that uh, uh, jam pajamas. You can expect coffee and hot chocolate. All right? Uh, if we're going to strip down to the barest of essentials, coffee is still part of that. But we're going to set these chairs up and around, and we're going to expect that we have all these feral children running around as we sing loud songs, and it's, if a bunch of people are singing Christmas carols, it doesn't matter how crazy the kids are getting. If we're singing Christmas carols, it actually adds, it's part of the ambiance, 
in musical accompaniment to have kids kind of either singing or messing around. And you'll obviously, you'll have some kid in the corner with their head on a screen bopping to the music. That's okay. You know, uh, as long as the fact they feel comfortable to do that here is a good testimony. But we're just going to sing a cappella Christmas songs from our heart. This building was designed before electricity was available in this area, and it was built before electricity was available. And this is made for singing carols in a round. And we get to do this. We've done this one other time before, and I, kind of, I said to myself, every time Christmas, falls, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, let's have a stripped-down pajama Sunday, right? So I want to welcome you guys to come. What, here's a potential itinerary for your day. Potential itinerary. As you get up, you, the, the kids wake you up, you kind of trundle downstairs, do the stockings first. Go to the stockings, enjoy that. If you are like us, give candy, get the kids to have a little sugar rush. That will help with the carol singing. Uh, have a little bit of brec breakfast. Then come here in your pajamas. Spend the next 45 minutes here singing your hearts out. Then go back and open the rest of the presents. And what I love about this too, some of you don't have that scenario happening, but you're going to have a piece of that scenario on Christmas Day coming here. And so we, I'm expecting there to be a, a liberal amount of hugs bequeathed upon people and Christmas cheer. And then we can celebrate that the all-access, all-pursuing God, what could be more accessible than a baby? Babies, people can be very scary. Babies are cute. You know, it's like you don't usually see people cowering in fear when a baby's in the room, maybe cowering with if the baby soiled its diaper or something. But Jesus entered the world, the most powerful being in the universe enters into the world in the most vulnerable way to say, this is how approachable I am. So today our Advent theme is love, is love. And these, I'll tell you what, all the Advent themes are a little bit, I, whoever put this together really overloaded it a bit in a way because like, how, how do you just encompass love in it? We're going to talk about love today. And the thing I was thinking about is what we often don't understand about the love of God. And there's something I believe we are, we are intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, we have a tendency to be handicapped in our ability to understand certain elements of God's love. And a lot of times there's this idea that somehow intimacy with God comes from fear of being rejected by him. There's the idea that intimacy of God comes with the sword of Damocles that you get out of line or you run afoul of your church or this, that, and the other, that somehow you are separated from God's love and that God, uh, God's love is so conditional. And you'll say, well, salvation-wise, it's not conditional. Yeah, once, I'm, once saved, always saved. I got my fire insurance, then eternity. But right now, it's, uh, I don't really experience God's love. Well, uh, one of my favorite authors, George MacDonald, has a quote that appears in many of his writings. And the, the, the quote is this, is in talking about the love of God. Is God is so easy to please, and he's so hard to satisfy. God is so easy to please, and he's so hard to satisfy. Now that 
That sounds a little confusing, so let me unpack that. Is, at least it was confusing to me the first time I heard it. Is God, if we look at Jesus, when Jesus gets happy, it's usually something very small, a small act of faithfulness. I mean, Jesus gets elated by this woman who's giving her widow's might, giving the, the smallest amount of money because the generosity of her spirit was like a supernova. And I guarantee that woman didn't wake up thinking she had anything to offer this planet. But now we talk about her forever, and she's written in the scriptures for all eternity. We look at uh, Jesus when a Roman centurion, who probably had idols of different Roman deities or whatever up in his house, just says, hey, I think you could probably manage a long-distance heal because obviously you have authority, and I know how authority works. And Jesus, like, loses it. It's like this person wasn't a theologian. If they were to write a systematic theology, they'd probably end up with several heresies to boot. And Jesus is like just losing it in happiness. And you think of this, Jesus is so easy to please. You know, you think of uh, the parable of the running father. Some people call it the prodigal son. I'm just going to tell you right now, I think that is a boring title because the oldest story in the book is parent kids doing things to upset their parents, right? Has anyone done that before? But the idea of a parent humiliating themselves to run after a child and welcome and have a person of the year party for that child. The parable of the running father is that father was pleased just to see the speck of his son in the distance. He saw his son in the distance. As soon as he could make out and figure that out, he was pleased. But what does it mean hard to satisfy? When I say hard to satisfy, is not saying you're not ever, never good enough or nothing you ever do is good enough. Hard to satisfy is I want you to think of, imagine going to a Thanksgiving dinner with a bottomless stomach. No matter how much you ate, you said, this is so good, I want some more, I want some more, I want some more. Well, imagine this. What if what if God's grace is bigger than we've imagined it? What if somehow the grace of God outstrips our ability to imagine it versus uh, the other way around, that we imagine it to be bigger than it is? Generally, if you imagine, generally if you imagine uh, God to be less than something you can imagine possible, you're wrong. So if you imagine God's mercy and love, God can never get enough of you. Bella, God can never get enough of you. June, God can never get enough of you. Sandy, God can never get enough of you. Tom Brent, God can never get enough of you. My friends, all of you, God can't get enough of you. You know, I'll be honest, I'm not apparently, I love being with my kids. But occasionally, I'm kitted out. Even my adult kids, you know, you're dying for them to call you and be in touch with you and stuff. And, but eventually you're like, man, I, I just need to go home. Like, I visited my daughter, like one of my favorite people in the world in Chicago. Got to tell you, by the way, um, proud dad alert, okay? I just need to dote on my little girl a little bit. You, many of you know she was in an apartment building. Her apartment building burned. Uh, there was uh, 71, no, excuse me, how much, Adrian? Uh, no, it was 171 firefighters at the scene. It was, I mean, it was in the WGN, all the Chicago news. Kathleen wakes up, uh, really old, crusty building. She's on the third floor. First thing she does is run to the fourth floor and bloody her hands by knocking down all the doors. 
knocking on the doors to wake everyone up. And everyone got out. There's one person in intensive care. But, uh, and it was kind of a loss, you know, Kathleen starting over. And I, I couldn't get over the fact that this Christmas could have been very different for us. And just how that she, not only uh, is my daughter safe, but I was thinking all these people who have gotten a second chance at life on the fourth floor might be contemplating God and his love and care for them with this new opportunity of life. And I'm just, I don't know. So I had, I, I have to, I, I just keep saying, I'm a dad and I'm, I, I've got to talk about my kids. And uh, so we went there, but I was there for a while and I was loving being with them, but I needed just to be home. You know, eventually I said, Adrian, so I want to be, but I, I just need to be home. And I realized God is never like that. God is never like that. God's, God is most at home in your heart. God is most at home in your heart. His, he doesn't need a break from your heart. He is most at home in your heart, and he is the guest that never leaves. I mean, he can be, he can be ushered out, but he's not going to initiate leaving you. And the story that, I mean, I could do this from so many angles, but the story that really drives this home for me and drives home how the whole universe works is the announcement to the shepherds of Jesus. The announcement to the shepherds of Jesus. And this is, I mean, when I read the story, I sense a God who voraciously desires his people to be included in his good work. God who has an unquenchable appetite to involve you in his work. And we're not talking some formulaic work where you learn the right ways to do the right things, to achieve good results, to do this. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a relationship and a dance and something that is, is, is a little more abstract than that. But I want to read uh, the passage, Luke 2, which, you know, the Christmas passage, this is the one that Linus reads in... Uh, the peanut special. Luke 2, 1 through 20. And I love how this story begins too. It doesn't begin long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't begin once upon a time. It doesn't begin, they're once in a far off land. It, it, began, it begins in a little OCD specificity way. I love this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census, which opposed to maybe the second census. You know, this is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. You know, you know Quirinius? When he was governor of Syria, really it's kind of awesome now. How many people are like, oh yeah, Quirinius. But this was written in a specific place and time. You know, the first, not the second census, when Quirinius is governor, this is what happened in space and time at this moment in concrete human history. So everyone had to go down uh, to their own town to register. So Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. By the way, uh, uh, that should be read just kind of apart. That should stick out to you because that was scandal. You know, he didn't say he and his wife and their kid. He says he and his fiance, who was pregnant, 
went together. So automatically, God even enters in the world through this miraculous conception of this baby, the, the, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, that this baby is born in such a way that from before that baby has human language skills, people are going to look down on that baby. Before that baby has human skills, people are going to have almost this uh, sardonic uh, feeling sorry for attitude towards this kid. And it goes to show, like, God, not only does he enter the world to the most vulnerable person, but a vulnerable person who's looked down on before a kid can even know what looking down on is in that culture. I mean, this is, this is God, like, showing how far he goes. You know, the parable of the running father, God lifts, hikes up this stuff to book after people. And God, God is not interested in how things appear and keeping up appearances. So, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So mangers are typically kept in stables, hence why we believe it was in a stable. Stables could have been caves. They could have been uh, the under, like a lot of times people would have a house in two stories and keep the animals at the bottom because the heat would come up and warm the top a little bit and stuff. So we don't know, was it a cave? Was it an outbuilding? Was it the basement? We just know Jesus was in there in a feeding trough as a crib, you know, um, And born into those. Didn't even rate a guest room. You know, you're going to see, you're going to your hometown family, you don't rate a guest room. Can you imagine, like, like perhaps, and I'm just speculating, perhaps Joseph might have been a pariah among this family. Perhaps Joseph, I mean, maybe, maybe the presidential suite wasn't available. I mean, we don't know, but that detail that their room was not made for the person who makes room for all. Room was not made for the person who makes room for all of you. And here's where, this is where I'm feeling the love this year. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let's do some imaginative heavy lifting now. Guys, we've seen so many things in our life that it's hard to be impressed. And, and you know, it, what used to look like amazing with CGI can be boring now. The most amazing optical illusions, the amazing things we can see can just brush past them. But imagine sitting out there in the wilderness, out on the outskirts, and somehow in this dark and starry night, somehow the light is put on in this blinding fashion. Light and noise and every sense you have is so far surpassed that your brain begins to shut down. And you're a quivering mass of what is going on. I mean, it's hard to think. Like in this, We went from the most humble picture in the world of, you know, this thought-to-be bastard son Jesus in a feeding trough Two, the lights go on, and people are terrified, and they have a major sensory overload. And then, 
Then the angel addresses them and said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in the manger, which tells us one thing. Feeding trough cribs were not the norm. It's like if people said, oh, yeah, we, we all have a feeding trough. It's actually orthopedically good for the baby, and it has lots of ventilation in the sides. And no, it's like they're saying, hey, there's only one baby in this whole town that is in this scenario. That's going to be your sign. Okay, so go, go on a scavenger hunt here, guys. So at this point, the, they're, they're terrified. They have to be told to chill out. You know, the, the angel of the Lord is shining in the heavens, sensory overload. And then it gets turned up to 12. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, uh, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, when they'd seen him, when they'd seen this baby. Now, I don't know if there would have been anything impressive about this baby other than the fact they were invited in the most impressive way. You know, can you imagine going to this time where your eyes, you're just seeing purple spots everywhere because the brightness of the heavens and you're in this little crusty uh, stable with this baby but you can't, your eyes are still seeing the spots of the glory of God. And you're seeing that glory is in this baby. I, I can't imagine what a head trip that would be. In their response to that overwhelming experience of God's inclusive love, the response wasn't to say, now I must go and earn his favor. Now I've got all these rules I must follow in order to be good enough. This was the response. When they saw him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. That message, the interpretation, the sermon received from the angels was on their lips, and they spread it everywhere. These guys were the epicenter of a story that is being told today. There, the, I, I imagine there's probably disciples of Jesus that had heard this story before he called them, and they remember it as a kid hearing about this, these crazy shepherds that went and spread this rumor around and couldn't stop about it. And suddenly all the, the lower working class shepherds in the whole region, and people think three or four shepherds, well, they were all the shepherds on the outskirts of one city, Bethlehem. So there could have, who knows, maybe there were 50 shepherds. We don't have a clue. That must have been one cramped little stable. Maybe they took turns. I mean, we don't know how many shepherds were there in their entourage. But imagine all the people that had these dim memories of when, when, when Jesus appears on the scene, and maybe, I wonder if anyone put it together, like, oh my gosh, this guy's preaching the same message that those crazy shepherds alleged happened when they went and saw that baby born in the feeding trough. But Mary treasured, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It doesn't say they were all believed. It said they all were amazed. 
So I, I don't know what the, the faith component of was of people who heard this story, but definitely it overwhelmed them. It wasn't just a story that got written off or went like water off a duck's back. It had an emotional effect on them. This was an effectual story. Something about the authenticity of these shepherds and the welcome they'd experienced amazed everyone who heard it. And Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And I imagine Mary's thinking, okay, God, you invited shepherds to come and invade my birth room. Uh, this is, I mean, I just had a baby. I'm, I'm really tired here. And I've got, you know, I've got Joseph and I've got a doula and some other things going on here. But what is the reason that you would do this, God? And just ponder, because you think, like, when you're in a hospital, you don't want 100 people visiting you at once. You know, especially a bunch of guy, dudes you don't know. <laughs> especially if you've just given birth, which is, like, amazing. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they've heard and seen, which they had just been told. So Advent is a time of introspection and extrospection. And by the way, extrospection is a word. Look it up. Google opposite of introspection. So I know people, because I, I, I've been accused of making up words, which I do, but that's not instant. It's introspection where we think of God's welcome to us in God coming into our life, in our longing for God. It's extrospection in thinking, what does that mean to the people around me? What does it mean to be around me? Because there's something about the welcome that we understand. When you receive love from God, it is contagious. It's not an obligation to share the story. It's the natural fruit is storytelling. And I would argue if there's a hesitancy to tell the story, it's probably because you've been tainted by this idea that storytelling earns you credits versus what love, if, if you meditate enough on God's love in these stories, you can't shut up about it. It's cognitive therapy. It rewrites the synaptic processes of our brains. And what I love about this story is I feel like the upside-down kingdom of God that we talk about is all-encompassed here. We believe that uh, humans are animals created in the image of God. God created the animals. God selected humans as his special creation. Everything was good. Humans, very good. And somehow, this conflagration of people come together will somehow bear witness to that there is a God. And it, God is a relational God. Yet, there's still that animal instinct that we create a food chain. We create a hierarchy. And that manifests itself in all these coercive economic theories that manifest itself in our mistreatment of others. It manifests itself in any of the abuse you might have received or in the neglect that you suffered in your life. Sometimes in the name of Jesus. You know, we're all, we all can be so misguided sometimes. But what, imagine the whole world and how life functions was appended in this celestial party that happened. I think of three layers of invitation. The shepherds got to go there real time when there was still a bucket of afterbirth in the corner of the place, right? There was still the stank of childbirth and afterbirth and all that other stuff, and if you know that, having kids is a mess. 
Then there was a secondary invitation is uh, wise seekers who had some level of social privilege because they could spend their lives being scholars. You know, uh, the magi from the east. That these guys apparently were people of privilege and some wealth. You know, being able to go take a whole caravan across the world to go visit something, that takes some disposable income, right? Well, they got, the, they got to see toddler Jesus. They, didn't get, they weren't the first to the deal. They weren't, you know, the day oneers. They weren't the day oneers. The day oneers were the shepherds. And then the third invitation was the invitation, and that was the powerful people found out because of the rumors. You know, we had the rumors of the shepherds and we had the rumors of the magi. And so the invitation wasn't even direct. Basically saying, God recognizes people. God does not recognize power. God recognizes you. He doesn't care what your influencer status is. God sees you. God sees you and he welcomes you and he loves you. And the thing is, all of us, if every human is honest, we're somewhere at the bottom of some social order. Everyone's got something to hide except me and my monkey, right? Everyone's got something. And it, God invites you at that place. Shepherds basically were butlers to the dumbest animal in existence, which is sheep. You know, a lot, sheep need a shepherd. I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to like speak ill of God's creation, but sheep are stupid. And these guys were butlers of sheep. It's like, you know, everyone's sleeping and getting their Z's. They have to make sure the sheep stay alive to the night. And they were looked down on. Shepherds were considered the lowest people, even by the poor people in the ancient Near East. And these guys got the first invitation. So what God is asking us is, first of all, where are we shepherds? Where are we insignificant? Because it is in our insignificance that we are welcomed into the loving arms of Jesus. We are welcomed in our insignificance. And the thing is, what significance do we need to lay aside? What is God asking us to eschew and deprioritize? You know, it takes a feeling of meeting God in our insignificance to, in a way, go foraging in our backyards for whatever we're going to add to the stone soup. You know, when you go foraging for resources, it's because you know you don't really feel like you have everything. So you go looking. Think, what has God given me, the shepherd me, to add into this stone soup? What is he, where are you shepherds, and where is God meeting you in your place? And the other question is, what would it mean if 2023 is the year that you gave up feeling guilty for not sharing Christ with people and instead were able to experience the joy of Christ that you couldn't shut up about with people? What if you could have, what if God could create an experience where you are welcome to admit that something significant happens to you where it just bleeds out of you? And you're like the shepherds. It's not the shepherds didn't read a five-part sermon from Paul and say we ought to go witnessing. The shepherds couldn't shut up. And what I think God wants to give Central Vineyard is a couldn't shut up. Couldn't shut up. And guess what? I, I want to shut up about shame, but I can't shut up about love. I want to shut up about shame, but I can't shut up about love. Listen, I know enough of the scandals even in this room. You know, most of us have something, Right? 
And especially the longer you know someone, the more you see that. And God meets us in that place. That's where God's recruitment drive begins, guys. And so, my, 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 I guess my, my, other than Christmas Eve and singing songs Christmas Day, my word to Central Vineyard is, guys, you have yards and cupboards full of things God has given you to give others. Allow him to meet you in your shepherd heart. Can we please stand? Yeah, we'll do communion. Thank you. And actually, can we do communion where people come up to receive communion? And here's, here's why I love this. is It gets you moving. It's a little cardio. You're getting your steps in if you have your Fitbit. But the other thing is, it's much easier to get prayer when you're up standing next to someone who's looking there like, please let me pray for you. I want to pray for somebody. You know? And the thing is, like, guys, we need an encounter with God in his love and compassion. And there is a supernatural element to this. Like, to me, it's like, this message is worthless unless you're able to avail yourself to an experience of God's revealing his love to you. So I want to ask our, our, our prayer folks to kind of line the sides or stand next to the communion folks. And we're, communion is like a proto-Easter thing when we're celebrating proto-Christmas because, frankly, the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of Easter. Something happened in the future to make the past a party, right? The angels were celebrating what Jesus was going to be doing in his agenda. Oh. So, we, you know, to talk about Advent, we got to talk about betrayal, right? Which is interesting because a lot of us get reminded of people that have hurt us during Christmas time. Am I right? Jesus. Passover with his disciples, his last meal before he would undergo pain and suffering that no one can comprehend. He took the Passover bread, gave thanks for it, and he broke it and said, this is my body, it's going to be broken for you. Christmas is significant, friends, because his body was broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant my blood. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So we want to pray... God's blessing on you. Come up and receive the elements. Stay up for prayer. If you think someone's long-winded, you can just say, okay, that's good. Just whatever you do, get prayer today. And be blessed, guys. And I will see you Christmas Eve and perhaps be singing with you Christmas Day. I love you so much.